at retreat. Um, and then uh, last Sunday morning, we were at retreat, and then we ended up uh, ended retreat last Sunday evening at our downtown parish with a joint service um, with Aaron Nequist, which was just a beautiful, restful, peaceful time, partially because I had to do absolutely nothing in the service other than welcome people. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's good to be back, though. A couple quick announcements. Um, immediately following the service, we are going to have a class called Leading at the Table. Uh, this is not just for people who are leaders, but people who are interested in being leaders, and also people who just want to think a little bit more about leadership. Um, uh, we kind of, one of the problems is is that I think one of the problems I notice often is that people are like leader. No, no, no. I'm not a leader. That's for someone else. But my belief is that that we are all leaders. We leadership is simply this. It is influencing the life of another person. Right? Leadership is influencing the life of another person. And we all influence the lives of others. And the question is whether we steward that leadership well. Um, and so this is a new class. It's part of our Next Steps track. There's free pizza if, that, uh, uh, if, that, if you need that. Um, so it's in the conference room back over here. We, 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 uh, we did it at retreat, and it went really well. So I hope you'll come hang out with me and be my guinea pigs here. Um, OK, uh, Aaron in the back is reminding me the kids are dismissed. Also, next Sunday is our chili cook-off. Um, there are four categories. You need to pay attention to this. Chili cook-off next Sunday, four categories. Best original recipe. I don't know what original is. That means like it's not on Google, or uh, but the best original recipe. Best DC-themed. Best vegetarian. Can you have a vegetarian chili? Is that a thing? Yes? Okay. And then, and then the holy grail, the holy grail, best meat, um, best meat eaters recipe. So there will be prizes. Uh, let me read this here. Um, you can sign up. Um, Jessica will be in the foyer after service to sign up, or you can go online uh, to thetablechurch.org forward slash chili. One more announcement, um, just for this location. Um, we, uh, we, uh, if you remember, oh, probably six to eight weeks ago, we, we did a period of nominations of elders for the table church. And um, one of the elders at this location uh, recently resigned or uh, stepped off the elders board. Um, it, uh, and so we are going to nominate a new elder to fill Brian Roberts' um, place. Uh, Brian still loves us, still part of our community, but he's just at this point in his life, he's like, I, I've got too much going on. And so we want to nominate one other elder. So just a quick uh, recap of what elders are for. At the Table Church, elders are not a governing body. So some of you, if you grew up in like a Presbyterian tradition, the elders kind of functioned as the trustees board as well. We have a management board that's a trustees that oversees the finances and the strategic plan. But the elders board is more like a pastoral board. Um, they're the ones who pray with you during difficult times in life. Um, if you need someone to provide you counsel, Normally what happens is someone makes a mistake of coming to talk to me about their problems one time, they realize I'm not very good to talk to, and then they go to the elders. Um, that's kind of true. Uh, so the elders are just like, it, it is the people in this congregation, and we have an overall elders board, so they serve both congregations, but we're doing nominations just here. It is the people in this parish, this congregation, that you, like when you talk to them, you walk away feeling encouraged, right? They, it's that person that always just has that word that you need to hear. Um, it's the person that when you are going through a difficult time, you're like, I want them to pray for me. We want the, that type of person to be an elder. So you can nominate an elder by going to thetablechurch.org um, forward slash nominate. Um, you can also 
email info at the tabledc.org. So if there's someone in our congregation that you're just like, the way they model Christ in their lives um, is, is just so compelling. We want that person to serve as an elder. Um, and uh, so we announce the other elders just quickly. Miss um, Joyce is one of our new elders. Um, <laughs> Um, the, other, the other new elders um, are, are Lauren Vernon uh, and Keith Craiglow, who are both at our downtown parish. And we're going to, next time we do a joint service, we'll do a commissioning over all of them. So anyway, one more elder for this location. Let's pray and then um, dive in. God, we open ourselves up to you today. Um, I pray that you would speak to us afresh and anew. I pray that that you would calm our minds and all the things that we came into this place with and that we might focus on you. Amen. Um, today we're taking a slight break from our Year of Biblical Literacy sermon um, because I want to I talk to us about something that I think may be the greatest mistake we made when we planted the table. So aren't you glad you came today? Um, you know, pastors get around, church planners get around, we all, we swap war stories, like, you know, what's the one thing you would do differently if you could do it all over again? And I think if I was going to do one thing differently, it, it would be um, what I want to talk about today. Now, I, I'm always a little worried with a sermon like what we're going to talk about, uh, that it could be my John chapter 6, my John 6 sermon. Does anyone remember the story in John 6? Um, John 6 is uh, one of the Gospels, and, um, or is John is one of the Gospels. And in this, in this John 6, Jesus preaches a sermon that's so weird, that's so off the wall, that he kind of loses the crowd. I mean, John basically says, that's the day Jesus lost the crowd. Like, people are like, Jesus, the miracles were awesome. We totally loved when you fed the crowds. That was super cool. But you're weird. And, and I was like, I'm always, I always, every so often I'm worried that this is going to be my John 6 sermon. So this could be my John 6 sermon. Um, it's like the worst sermon that you could give. Um, I mean, I'm hoping this isn't, but that's what pastors are always worried about. Um, because I, and the reason I'm so nervous about this, you can tell I'm nervous about this sermon today. The reason I'm so nervous about this is because I want, I want to teach you something that you think you already know how to do. And, and when you try to teach people something that they already know how to do, they immediately um, begin to put up, put up roadblocks. And, and so if you are confused and wondering what is he already talking about, that's great because that's how Jesus talks and that makes me feel like I'm more like Jesus. Jesus always kind of talks in rid riddles. But at, the, but at the risk of offending you, some of you, if not all of you, I want to teach you to do something that you think you already know how to do. Over the next three weeks, I want to teach you how to be generous, not how to give. There is a difference between giving and generosity. But I want to teach us how to be generous. And I think one of the reasons that I am so passionate about this is because I feel that in my own life, no one taught me to be generous. People taught me to give. And when we started the table church, we taught people how to give, but we didn't teach people how to be generous. And I know it seems that they seem to be the same, but there is a world of difference. This is a be versus a do. So we're not trying to get you to do something. We're get, trying to get you to be someone. 
Now, of course, the challenge is the minute that I say I want you to be generous, right? If we were sitting down over coffee and I, and I say, hey, you know, I, I just don't feel that you're a very generous person, which that coffee is not going to go well. Um, but if I were to sit down and say, hey, I don't feel you're a very generous person, you would immediately begin to think of the one time you gave someone a, uh, some money on the street corner. It's kind of like my, anytime my wife tells me, like, hey, Kevin, I really need you to do more around the house, my immediate reaction is, do you remember in 2014, I scrubbed the entire dishwasher out with a toothbrush? And she's like, that was three years ago, right? We, there's something about our brains that when someone challenges us, challenges us on something, we immediately fill in and tell all the reasons that what they're trying to tell us is wrong, that no, in fact, we are a generous person. But when I talk about generosity, when we talk about generosity, we're not talking about random acts of giving. Most Americans are good at random acts of giving, right? We are, uh, we, there is, we are haunted as a nation um, by generosity. Any country that has a Judeo-Christian foundation is haunted by a tradition of generosity because it is baked into the Christian tradition. And so as Americans, people are haunted by kind of this, this, uh, what, this, this, this past, the, uh, this what feels like a religious veneer in a way. Like we, we, we want to be a generous people. And so we actually are willing to, to give when there's a moving commercial on TV, you know, we see the children or we are in a service and someone gives us really compelling pitch and, and they show us pictures. We're like, yeah, no, totally. I am all, you know, we write a check and we drop it in the offering. But, but for the next few weeks, I want to specifically talk about how to be generous, not simply how to give. Now, of course, the first thought is that the church, they want me to, they want me to, this is just to get me to give money. And, and next year, going into next year, we have some amazing things that we think God is calling us to do. But, but I don't want anything from you. Instead, I want something for you. Because I believe that when you learn to become generous, when you become generous, you will order your life around generosity. And you will give more, but I believe that you will also save more and that you will consume less. Because what I've realized in, in my own life, and, and partially I'm just, I, I should tell you today, like there's not a lot of Bible um, because it's an intro sermon. I'd rather I'd be honest with you instead of like trying to convince you using proof text. Um, but part of this is what we've discovered in our own lives and what I think Jesus then validates. We're gonna look at a passage, that, oh, some words of Jesus later on. But, but part of this is what Charla, my wife, and I have discovered in our own lives. Because if I were to be honest, the first few years that we were married, we did not know how to be generous. And we just kept for ourselves, and we just consumed more. And then we had to learn to be generous. And I believe that as you learn to be generous, that you will save more and you will consume less. Now, there is a group of you in here who, if you learn to be generous, you will not save more because you are a borderline hoarder at this moment. And you just are going to give more, right? That, that, that you're not going to save more. <laughs> but for most of us, if you learn to be generous, you will give more and consume less. And Jesus promises us that if we learn to be generous, we will live a happier life. Now, the reason that generosity has to be taught is because generosity did not come naturally. This is not something we learn, how, we immediately know how to do as a child. And part of the reason that we're, we are 
um, part of the reason that we are not generous is because we, we, f- we feel that there is a scarcity. We don't feel that we have enough. But the funny thing is that we, we feel like we're generous. Many of you, if I asked you if you were a generous person, you'd say, oh yeah, we're, I'm a generous person. We feel like we're generous, but we're not. While at the same time, we feel like we aren't rich, but we are. Now, I know that there are some of us in this room who are struggling and who don't know where the next paycheck is coming from, right? But for many of us, for many of us, you are living paycheck to paycheck simply because you haven't been able to manage, been able to manage the finance, your finance as well. And so you constantly feel that you live in scarcity. But in reality, compared to most of the world, you are rich, right? Like if you look at the global framework of the amount of money that, that passes through our banking accounts, that slips through our hands on a give, any given week or month or year, it is staggering to most of the world. And so we think we're generous and we're not, and we think and we feel we're not rich, but we really are. Am I making any sense? Am I losing us? Now, quickly, I want to talk about four myths of generosity. And again, I'm just like, this is just an intro sermon. It'll get better next week. Um, Maybe. Okay, uh, so four myths about generosity. The, the first one, we've already talked about this, but the first myth of generosity is this, that, that giving is spontaneous, or that generosity is spontaneous, right? You see the commercial on TV, or you go to an event, and they, they do something, they have a really compelling um, pitch. They tell some stories about people's lives have been transformed. They show us some pictures that I like to refer to as poverty porn, right? Like we, they show us some pictures, and um, we feel good about ourselves, and then we write a check, right? We, and we're moved. But, but generosity is not spontaneous. In fact, when you learn to be generous, I actually believe that you will be less moved by, by really compelling pitches. Generous people are far more strategic in their giving. It's not hit or miss. The second myth of generosity is that generosity is determined by cash flow. So um, when, when you have money... I, you know, you, you just got paid, so you got money in your bank account, and then you were generous. Right? Generous people, generous people are consistently generous, not dependent on cash flow. So one of my favorite stories is of John Wesley, who I always refer to as my theological crush. Um, um, John Wesley is this guy in the 18th century. He was a revivalist. He was a professor at Oxford. Um, but he was uh, in his, he was in his um, room at Oxford, and he was earned a fairly good salary. And he walked into the room, and he noticed that the woman cleaning his room was shivering because she didn't have a coat. And so he reached into his pocket because he earned a good amount of money. He reached into his pocket to give her some money and realized that he had gambled it all away the night before. And at that time, um, this is the mid-18th century, he earned about 28 pounds, I think a month or a year. I can't remember. 28 pounds a year, I believe it was. And, And he's like, this is ridiculous, right? It shouldn't, my generosity shouldn't be determined on my cash flow. And so in that moment, he determined that for the rest of his life, he was going to live on 28 pounds, the amount he earned that day. And as his life went on, he continued to get wealthier and wealthier and wealthier, but he continued to live on that same fixed amount. Generosity is not determined by cash flow. We often feel, oh, I will give when I can afford it, right? When there's some balance, when there's some margin in my bank account, then I will give. The other myth is that, is that 
It's the amount that counts. And this may be one of the worst myths of all, right? It's the amount that counts. So we often look at people who put a lot of zeros on their checks as being generous people, but often they are just giving from their excess. I can tell you in the, in the table, at the table, some of the most generous people in our community are also some of the people with the, with the least amount, right? The people who go above, above and beyond, the people who move me personally, the ones who I'm like, I want to be like you, are often the people with the least amount of money. Jesus is never impressed by the number of zeros at the end of a check. Remember the story about the widow's mite, right? This woman who gives from the little that she has, and Jesus says, no, that is who you are to be like. It's not the amount that counts. Finally, the fourth myth is this, that rich people are generous. Now, this one you might have already known was false. In D.C., you can actually check this out in D.C. So there is a website based on IRS data where you can go in and enter um, you, you know, the different zip codes in our city. And you can pick out the lowest income zip codes of our city and enter those in. And what you'll discover, and it'll give you a breakdown, you'll discover that the people who earn the least amount, you give the most. And as you go to the wealthiest zip codes, um, I forget what the wealthiest in DC is, but if you look at the wealthiest zip code, they give on average about 1.5% of their income. If you look at the lowest income zip codes in DC, and I'm trying to remember the exact numbers, I think they give on average about 8% of their income. Right. Rich, the myth that rich people are generous simply because the number of zeros on the end of their checks is simply false. And the other challenge, the other, the thing tied to this uh, idea about being rich and generous is this, is that you think, well, I'm not generous now, but someday when I get a promotion or when I have more money, right, then I will be generous, Right, right now, things are really tight. You know, I'm, I'm working that entry-level job. But someday, when I have more money, but there is no correlation between how much money you have and how much, mo how much money you make and whether or not you're generous. In fact, it's the opposite. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to give a, a definition of generosity that I stole from another pastor. And it's clunky, but, but I like it. Um, okay, uh, here it is. Being generous is the premeditated calculated, designated emancipation of personal financial assets. How do you like that? You can quote that, right? You just immediately, someone says, what's your definition of generosity? Oh, let me tell you, I, I just memorized this at church. It is, being generous is the premeditated, calculated, designated emancipation of your first personal finances. Because the thing that I believe is that when you free your money, when you free your money, you free yourself from money. When you free your money, you free yourself from money. Do you know that, that it talks more about finances and how you steward your finances than almost any other topic in the Bible? It appears over 800 times, way more times than faith or love or any other things that we kind of think of being paramount. Because what Jesus knows, and he keeps coming back to this over and over again, is that if you don't free yourself from your money, your money will control you. And as you get older, and as you get older and you have more responsibilities, it begins to have a tighter and tighter grip around your life. My wife and I have discovered this in our own lives that, you know, we buy that first car, you know, well, that's, there's a, we're now kind of tied down a little bit more. And then 
well, we needed a second car because we have stuff to do and we're important people. And so, you know, we bought a second car and then, and then well, we bought a house and, you know, and it just the things that begin to entrap you and they're, they're not bad things, right? This isn't judgment about the things that we have or the choices that we do. But the problem is that money begins to entrap us and it makes it harder for us to say yes when God calls. And one of the things that, like, I, as I'm dreaming, as God is giving us a vision for where he wants us to go as a church, is the ability when God calls to be able to say yes. We want to be able to say yes when God calls. And for so many of us, at the end of the day, our money and our possessions control us. And if they don't control you yet, they will if you don't learn to be generous. Because when you free, when you free your money you begin to see your life through a new lens, a lens of generosity, and it begins to trickle down into every other area of your life. We've all met people with no money who worry about money. And we've also met, we've also met people in kind of middle income brackets who worry about money. And we've also met really wealthy people who worry about money, who are stressed out about money. Now, and the thing is, the people that I know who, have, who, have, who live the most free lives and actually in some ways are the least worried about money are also the people I know that are most generous. And, and I'm not going to make the correlation, you know, some, some churches like to preach, you know, if you sow, then you shall reap, right? You give enough money, you give, you know, you give and then you'll get tenfold. It's tempting to preach that, uh, particularly if you're giving it to me, but... Um, but there is something, the reason often that the people I know who are the most generous and the reason that this kind of begin, people begin to believe it is because when you are generous, it, the rest of your financial life begins to come back into order. And the people I know who are the least worried about money are also the people who are the most generous. Okay, now this is a sermon, so there should be at least a little bit of Jesus. So I, I want to I read a passage. It's actually a famous passage. Many of you have heard this passage before or heard this idea before, but we don't know where it comes from. In fact, some of us think that it comes from, it comes from popular culture. But it actually um, comes from the Apostle Paul, and he's quoting the words of Jesus. Now, this passage, this passage um, we, is comes at the end of Paul. He's leaving Ephesus, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. It's in Acts chapter 20. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels where it tells the life of Jesus. Then Acts um, is written by the, the same author as Luke, and it's kind of a continuation of the story. It tells the story after Jesus has returned to heaven. And, and, and in Acts, we read the story about the Apostle Paul, and he's about ready to leave Ephesus for Jerusalem. And it's actually one of the more emotional passages and all of scripture because Paul has just told this church that has fallen that has fallen in love with him that he is going that he's going away he knows his he knows he's going to be arrested he knows that he is on a collision course with the Roman government and he knows that his time is coming to an end and so as he's leaving we you can read this in Acts chapter 20 you can read the whole story as Paul is leaving he tells them this is the last time I'm ever going to see you like, this is it. Like, I am not going to ever see you again. And they are weeping. There is weeping, and they are begging him, Paul, please don't leave. This is an incredibly emotional moment. It's probably like taking place on the dock as he's about ready to get on the boat. But in this passage, in this narrative, he begins talking about living a generous life. And he's not bragging, but he essentially says, I have lived a generous life in front of you. 
And then he throws out this statement that so many of us have heard but didn't even know that it was from the Bible. And Paul says this, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, he said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Now, I'm guessing for most of us, you, your parents told you this, right, when you were asking for a gift and then they were trying to get you to give to someone else. And what Paul is talking about is he's not just talking about the one-off giving of a gift. Because to be honest, as a child, I thought my parents were wrong because it seemed to be more blessed to receive a gift than to give a gift, right? I, they like would make us give one a gift every Christmas and it was often a really nice gift. And I thought it would be way more blessed for me to keep that particular gift. Um, but that's just me. Uh, that's why I'm learning to be generous. Um, but for Paul, this wasn't, it's more blessed to give a gift on a one-off, right? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a lifestyle of generosity. And the word here, let me find the, the, the word here. This is fascinating. The word that Paul uses for blessed is makurios. I'm terrible at pronouncing Greek words, um, but makurios, which means, which by the way, is the exact same word that Jesus uses on the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, blessed is the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed, you know, goes through the list. It's the same word, but the word is actually translated happy. And we did an entire series called The Good Life because honestly what it means, it's, it's actually related, we find the same phrase in the writings of Aristotle. And the question is, what does it mean to live a good life? What does it mean to live a fulfilling life? What does it mean to live a life or have a life well lived? And, Jesus, and, and Paul says here, to, to, it, is, it, it is happy as the person whose life is ordered around giving rather than receiving. Happy is the person whose life is ordered around giving rather than receiving. And we keep saying over and over here at the table, if you hang out with us long enough, is that we don't want something from you, but we want something for you. We want you to discover the abundant and beautiful life that God has for us. But so often, we're so entrapped by our money and our possessions that we don't experience the full life that God has for us. Now, I want to end with, uh, and this is going to be a little weird, so just go with me. Um, I want to end with an imagination experience, experiment. Um, this is actually kind of depressing. When I did it myself, I got depressed, so you may get depressed as well. We'll sing a song before we leave, so hopefully you'll feel better. Um, but imagine with me, imagine with me that you had all the money that you wasted over the past five years in a banking account. <laughs> now, so this, this might be like, maybe you should have kept a, an item a little longer. Maybe you shouldn't have upgraded to the iPhone, whatever the fancy one is now. Um, I can't keep track. They've got so many now. Um, may, maybe you bought some furniture that you realized you didn't need. Maybe it was the second cocktail that you bought when one would have done or the bottle of wine or some crazy expensive dinner. I really don't know what it is. Like this isn't like a judgment on your lifestyle. That's not the point. But like, you know, you have amounts of money that you feel you're wasted. So my wife and I are on, um, uh, we are on one income now and, um, and we're making it fine and the church didn't give me a, a raise. So, I mean, like, it wasn't like we got, it wasn't like we had more money, but we're, but we're doing okay. And, and part of that was we, we thought like, when, where did all that money go? 
where did all that money go? And so I thought, like, what if all the money we'd wasted over the past five years was in a, a checking account? But well, hold on, don't get too excited yet, because um, I know you're already thinking of how to spend it. Imagine if all that money was in a checking account, and then you had to, over the period of a year, you had to just give that money away. You had to invest that money in the lives of other people. Imagine that, you, um, that someone is like building a, a, a well in Africa and you're able to just say, oh wait, how much did you say that was? Here, let me write that check. Imagine that you had that and you had like, think of the joy and the beauty of being able to invest that money in other people. And, and honestly, when you think about it, I mean, immediately we kind of feel a bit possessive of it and think of all the ways we could spend it. But like, think of the joy of giving and blessing and sowing into the lives of other people. And I'm not doing this thought experiment to make you, experiment to make you feel guilty like I felt. Um, but my question is this, why don't you do that going forward? Why don't you begin to, to cultivate the habit in your life where, and we're going to talk about this more, so I'm not going to like, we're wrapping it up and we'll talk more about it over the next couple of weeks. But what would it look like in your life to cultivate the habit of being generous in a way that causes you to save more and to consume less so that you actually are able to invest in the lives of other people? Because when I think back of the money that my wife and I have spent over the past five years. Like, I had some amazing dinners and bought some really cool gadgets and things like that. But most of those things end up breaking and the dinner, I just felt awful afterwards because I ate too much. But the, the moments that I look back and I think that, that's the type of life that I want to live is the moments that I've invested in other people. It's the moments that I've invested in our community and helping us become who God wants us to be. It's the moments that I've invested in friends' lives who are going through a really difficult time and, and we are able to be there with them and, and to support them. Right? Those are the moments that when I look back over the past five years that bring me joy, that are life-giving, where I'm able to say, that's the type of life I want to live. And this, again, is not like, I'm not trying to like judge your lifestyle. And there's nothing wrong with nice meals and any of that, right? That's not the point of this. But to begin, you looking back, using your value system, looking back for the ways that you've spent your, your money over the past five years, and just thinking of all the ways that you've wasted it. And then how do you move forward beginning? And this isn't going to like, it's not going to happen just today. You're going to say, I'm not going to waste money anymore. And for, like for the rest of your life, you're never going to waste money again, right? This is, there's always a tension that we find ourselves in. But I will promise you that if you learn to be a generous person, that you will live a happier and more fulfilled life. And it's not just my promise, but it's the promise that Jesus makes us. And the thing is that being generous is weird. It is counter-cultural because we are told over and over and over again, get all you can for yourselves. Uh, we, I, I hang out in this uh, neighborhood a lot called Navy Yard um, downtown or down um, the, the southeast section of town. And they're always, they're, they've got all these new apartment buildings that are coming in. And on the edge of the apartment buildings are these incredible buildings banners that show these amazing 
these amazingly beautiful and happy people. I never see those people in the neighborhood, but I mean, they are, they're stunning. And they're always so well-dressed, often in like cocktail wear. I'm like, where are you in DC in cocktail wear all the time? Anyway, that's not the point. Stay focused. Um, me, not you. Um, and, uh, and, but one of them in particular, I can see out the window of my gym, it, it says something like, and it has this amazing life. And it says, you deserve this. You deserve this. The message of our of the of the world is cons- who is who of the, of the dominant culture that wants to sell you something and tells you that you deserve this. You're special. Spin, spin, spin. Consume, consume, consume. But then we hear the words of Jesus that says, "No, I have another message. It is more blessed to give than receive. It is more blessed to live a life of generosity. It is more blessed to invest in the lives of other people than to simply consume for yourselves." But it's weird and it's countercultural. And so I hope you'll come back. I know this was and a weird sermon. I hope you come back next week. It should be better. Um, but I want, I want us to become, to learn to be generous. I want, as, a, as, as your pastor, I am on this journey with you of learning to be generous. And as a church, I want us to be known throughout the city for our generosity and the ways that we don't just consume for ourselves, but we give to others. Let's pray. God, I thank you for, I thank you for these this little story that's captured for us in the gospel, I mean, in, the, in Acts. I thank you for the ways that over and over and over again through the life of Jesus, you modeled generosity. And I pray that you would begin to shape and to form us into people who are generous, who don't just give every now and then, but that we invest consistently in the lives of other people. In Jesus' name, amen.